Greetings, church. That was an off word, wasn't it? Greetings. <laughs> it's in the Bible, you know. It is great to see you here tonight. Uh, looking forward to the opportunity to talk more about this great ministry of the apostles and what it means even to us. Welcome to you both members and visitors alike. Let's please go to God in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Lord God, as we think about the Savior who came and lived a perfect life, he did it for not only righteousness sake, but we are the beneficiaries of that righteous lifestyle, of that perfection. And we thank you so very much for the great blessing from the Godhead. Help us, please, in our worship to keep our minds rid of worldly thought that we might focus only on you, on your word, your will, and your way. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray these things, but be thy will. Amen. We're going to Ephesians chapter 2. Last week we were talking about the growth of the apostles, and now the idea that now they've grown, the seriousness of, of the message preached, and what it means for us, and what it means to us, and just how they grew to become obedient servants of the Lord, and pillars, uh, even the foundation of the Lord's church. Ephesians 2 and the verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's really important. This kingdom, this church, this body of believers is built upon the prophets and the apostles. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, right? This thing cannot be shaken. The church cannot be shaken. And so be proud to be members of the church of Christ because this cannot be shaken. The foundation is built. It is strong. It is powerful. In verse 22 it says, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so this was serious business, right? Revelation chapter 1, please, and verse 9. In Revelation, uh, we find that they weren't just men who spoke the gospel. They lived what they preached. We could preach what they lived. In fact, we do that. We preach what they and Jesus lived, what the apostles and prophets lived, and what they spoke, the message that was holy and true. The question this evening is, can people preach the way I live? Is my life a sermon, right, that others can speak about? In Revelation 1 and verse 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so he says, I also am a partaker in the persecution that came upon the church. You would think, we're going to Acts chapter 1, you would think that with such a great persecution, that the Romans would have had no problem stamping this out. In fact, you read the book of Acts where there have been others who have risen up and uh, they came to be nothing. But God is behind the church. He is with the church. He is in the church. He is through the church. And the church is the bride of Christ. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be destroyed. And what's amazing about the church in their day and now to our day it has so many witnesses, right? What they proclaimed and what we're receiving today, there are witnesses after witnesses after wit 
thousands of years of witnesses of God's plan from eternity revealed through the church, came through the apostles, or through the prophets rather, of old, through the patriarchal dispensation, all the way to today. And it's still here. Almost 2,000 years after Jesus died. It can't be shaken. In verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, uh, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's undeniable, right? And as people run around, they say, well, I don't know that I believe. You don't have a choice. There's too many witnesses. It's an undeniable, indisputable fact that Jesus lived, he died, he rose from the grave, and that his followers are everywhere, all over the world, even to this day. He says, Luke says, I, I composed this. I researched it. I sought it out and searched it out. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so 40 days of, of amazing witnesses chosen by God, a man who died and rose, came back and he talked to them. Wow. When you tonight, if in your mind through the years, have ever said to yourself, you know, I, I don't know if I feel like going to worship tonight. I'm kind of tired. i got other things to do. There are too many witnesses for us to think that way. This is real, right? And here we are as, as God's servants, able to assemble to worship God. Worship. And the fact that God is responding right now to our worship is incredible. And we have witnesses. You just read the Bible and you see all the witnesses in heaven. We get the heavenly realm now. As the heavenly realm recognizes that God is responding to our worship. In verse 22, as the apostles dealt with the issue of Judas needing to be replaced. But listen to what's stated in verse 21. It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So this isn't like some fluke, right? Where I saw Jesus once and then I'm telling the story. No, they were with Jesus throughout his entire ministry. And they're looking for a replacement for Judas. And they need a man who was with them as Jesus came in and Jesus went out. And in verse 22, it says, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so a man was not chosen randomly, but had to meet a qualification that God gave. And that man became part of the foundation of what we are now a part of, the kingdom of God. What, a, what an amazing gift. What, what an amazing blessing. God has never left us without witnesses. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. So Matthias is chosen as a disciple in verse 23. Uh, and they put forward two men, Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they 
prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show which one of these two thou hast chosen to occupy the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And so now we have twelve apostles who are waiting for the promise of God from heaven. This is powerful. Fourteen men in total, when you add Paul in just a moment, fourteen men in total, chosen by God to be God's spokesman, eyewitnesses. And that doesn't account for all the other witnesses that God has, but these men in particular, this is, this is the reason why I'm here. This is the reason why prayerfully you are here and we are together to worship God because this is an unshakable kingdom and we are a part of an amazing work of God. And that's exciting. It's exciting to know that when you leave this building that Satan is going to automatically go put his defenses up, if you will, and ready to attack, right? And he's got all of his minions, all of his people, and we're trying to snatch folks from the fire. We have a mission every day to seek and save the lost. We're a part of God's eternal plan. And this is great to be a part of the ministry, even of the apostles, if you will, in the sense that God has given us a work to do, and that is to help declare the message of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Verse 15, regarding this selection. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was there together, and said... Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Well, wait a minute, David? The, the Bible's going way back to the prophecy, right? It's going way back in the prophecy and gathering this prophecy and saying, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit told us was going to happen years ago, years ago. And we have to fulfill what God has said. And in verse 17, For he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of, the wicked, of wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, the field was called Hakadama. That is the field of blood. It became known to all. This wasn't done in a corner church, right? This isn't a secret. This and people for you know nowadays have been trying to find reasons to justify Judas and all it, because it wasn't done in a secret place. And we find that, that, that what happened to Judas is something that was spoken of years ago. Hundreds of years ago. Hundreds of years ago. And in verse 20 it says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no man dwell in it. And his office let another man take. It wasn't done in secret. I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's to be taken seriously. And here we are today as God's people. Who would have ever thought 
The Romans never thought. The Romans thought for sure that, well, they had control of the world and they would control this kingdom, but even they couldn't stop this kingdom. The kingdom that Daniel spoke of, the fifth kingdom, right? The fifth kingdom who rose up in the, in the midst of those kingdoms. The fifth kingdom that would never be destroyed, spoken about Daniel in Daniel 2 and verse 14. In Daniel 7 and 2 Samuel chapter 7 and all the other passages of the scripture about this amazing kingdom of which the apostles and the prophets have become part of the foundation and Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And we are a part of that, of that great event. We're not eyewitnesses, but there are so many eyewitnesses. Think for just a moment about how many things we believe that we were not eyewitnesses to. Just go back in history, right? Look at our own history books, and history books tell us one story. Why do you believe that stuff? Right? Why do you believe that? Because it's in a book, right? I mean, we weren't eyewitnesses. You believe it by faith. It may not have happened. And what's amazing sometimes, you study history, and, you know, the winner writes one phase of history or, right, account of history in a war, World War II, and a loser writes another. They don't always mesh up, church, right? The Vietnam War, they don't always mesh up. We know the event happened, right? We know the event happened because we have witnesses. A lot of people have a hard time believing the Bible. All these witnesses from the very beginning of time all the way until almost 2,000 years ago, eyewitnesses of everything that happened. And then there was just a great event that Jesus... Though he went to the grave, he got up. Death couldn't hold him. That was amazing, right? That was an amazing situation in their day that a man who has, who has just turned the world upside down went to the grave and then got up. And not just that, the stone was rolled away and the angelic realm was a part of it. It was a huge deal. And it wasn't done in a the corner. There were eyewitnesses. And then the, the most confusing verse, at least to me, maybe not to you, in Matthew 27 when it talks about the dead getting up when Jesus died, when the earth quaked and the, the, and, the, and the dead got up and then they went into the city and began to preach. And when did they get up? I don't know exactly when they got up, but I know they got up. It wasn't just Jesus' resurrection. Other folks rose. This wasn't secret. This is serious. This is the most impactful, uh, if you will, uh, situation in the human era of time. God rising from the dead. So, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1. Now I make known to you, our uh, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. You see what it does for us? Yeah, you see, you start thinking about what this is. It gives us the strength to stand. When you are in a restaurant and you are denying whether you should, or thinking about, contemplating whether you should pray and talk about godly things or not, go on and stand up. Go on and pray. Right? Pray, pray for the whole world to see. Not that we're doing it for them to see, but don't step back from doing what you're supposed to do as God's people just because the world's in our midst. Be the example to the world, right? And so he says, this gospel is all meant for us to be able to stand. Verse 2, 
by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. Why didn't it say according to man? Because the scriptures are greater than man, right? The scriptures have come from God. They're God-breathed. It's undeniable. It's an undeniable fact. And so Paul says this is the gospel message that gives us the power to stand. It goes on to say, and that he was buried and that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of them of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Witnesses, eyewitnesses of Jesus and the resurrection for a lost and dying world. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And that wasn't better than a secret mess. It, that was not in secret. The persecution. It's like when people talk about the church, you start saying, okay, you know, and then they, uh, they you know, get it kind of mixed up. And go, well, you know, well, um, the Catholic church was the first church. That came from, it's the Roman Catholic, I always say it, remember, it's the Roman Catholic Church. Question out of curiosity, who'd the Romans persecute themselves? Well, no, the Romans didn't persecute themselves, but how was the Roman Catholic Church the first church? Then they start thinking, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, that makes sense. That, that makes sense. So then we go back to the historical account of the book of the Bible, and it shows that, no, the Church of Christ is the first church, and the only church. And the Romans persecuted it and tried to destroy it. And it wasn't 573 years later that the Roman Catholic Church came. And you say, well, what, is, what does that mean to us? What I'm trying to say to you is, is that there were so many witnesses that you can make that kind of claim. Because it's true. It's undeniable. And we're a part of it. And thank you, God, for it. So look at what God did. Luke chapter 24. Jesus, uh, after he rose and he appeared to many, comes back to the earth. And he's here and he's talking to his disciples. And he tells his apostles in particular, beginning in verse 45, he says, I want to go back to verse 44. It won't be on the slide. Uh, now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What things? What is God talking about? You see, what happened, there are things that God did not reveal to them while it was on the earth, but the Holy Spirit will reveal them to them later. But here he says, these things must be fulfilled. In verse 46, he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from 
Jerusalem. You have to love that, that God gives you a beginning location, right? That's one thing you learn about the church. When someone says, well, uh, you know, where did your church begin? If they don't say Jerusalem, you already know that's not the right place, right? It tells you where, right? Exactly an exact location, beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so they were to wait in the city for the promise from the Father. So it's not over yet. It's not over yet. Acts chapter 1. They were in, uh, if you will, Jerusalem waiting for the promise of God. Now, if that promise of God had not happened, then, you know, you could say, well, then obviously the apostles would have walked away. They would have said all of this is in vain. I mean, we already know they would have done it, right? They did it at the cross. We know they would have walked away. But you see, they believe in this message because of all the eyewitnesses. And then what happens to them in Acts chapter 1? The Holy Spirit falls upon them. The promise of the God, of God, if you will, is fulfilled. They can't walk away. Church, that's what's supposed to happen to us as we read the Word of God, right? As we read the Word of God and as we study and we look at the facts, and you can go get all the evidence you want. Look at all the evidence. You can look at all the secular books. You can look at all the archaeological finds. You can look at all the uh, apologetics. You can look at everything and realize that this is real. We are part of a true reality that has come from God. He promised it to us because of His great love, because of His great mercy, because of who He is. And He revealed it to us. And now, here it is, church. It's still here. And we are part of that kingdom. What an amazing, I mean, to, to think about the position that I am in, that you are in, as God's people right now, this is a great place to be. In verse 12 it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So it's a certain distance they could walk. They walked that day waiting for the promise of of God. And Luke says, look, I searched this out. I'm not just telling you something, right? We know Luke's an inspired writing writer, but he says, what I did was I searched this out for Theophilus, whoever this guy is, right? Look at verse 4. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, picking up Luke, right? Picking up Luke's account. But to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What does that mean? Right? What, what does that mean? What's going to happen? Baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's, what, what's going to, you know, Acts 2, uh, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. I don't know what that felt like. But how amazing that was. It was undeniable. And they waited for this promise from God, and the promise came. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? That's what everybody was waiting for. Is this it, Lord? Is this it? Is this the time? Is this what's been spoken of for hundreds of years, for thousands of years? And then, and then Jesus says to them, it is now for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed for his own authority. 
just go wait. They had to wait 10 days, by the way. They had to wait 10 more days, right? He appeared to them for 40 days, and then 10 more, 10 days later, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And then the outline of the book of Acts, and the outline of the history of humanity, in verse 8, from Jesus on, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That happened. And you shall be my witnesses. That happened. Both in Jerusalem uh, and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. That happened. You start reading historical books and it's amazing to, to hear about and read about what the apostles did. It's just amazing to hear about where they've gone and preaching the word of God. Colossians 1 tells us that the whole world heard the gospel. Right? They didn't shy away from declaring the message of Jesus to a lost and dying world, even though they were threatened with their lives. And, you know, based on historical accounts, most of them died. Historically, they say they all died a violent death, a persecuted death, except for John. Why did they do that? There's two different scenes, right? There's a scene of the cross where they all flee. And then you read about the end of their lives and you hear that none of them fled. It's, it's, it's an amazing transformation that, that happens to them. For us, it's based on witnesses. And you know what God said? There has to be witnesses. Deuteronomy, please, chapter, chapter 19. There has to be witnesses. And so if you're going to believe something, go back and investigate what the witnesses had to say. And make sure when you investigate the witnesses, you, you ask the right kinds of questions. Questions that will lead you to the truth. Well, in Deuteronomy 19, even about the word of God itself, it says in verse 15, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. Two or three witnesses? How many witnesses has God left us about the word of God itself? God doesn't just end with witnesses on the earth. I want to jump all the way over to Hebrews chapter 12. When I first began studying um, to learn about the truth, of, of religion or to learn about God and worship and Christianity. The, um, the thing that was important to me was I wanted to talk to, to people, right, in general. So I went to denominations and I, and I asked questions. So I wanted to know. And you know what I learned? What I learned was You'll get a lot of answers, but most of them won't be scriptural. In other words, it won't be like, thus saith the Lord. It's, it's more emotional. And I learned that. That's just what I learned. I'm telling you what I've learned. It was more emotional. It was about, okay, about a healing, for example. It was a, a young boy who um, uh, the, the preacher said he was going to heal. And, and he said, but bring the boy back. I said, well, why can't you do it now? Well, you know, we got to do it at another time. It's got to be on this day. Well, why's it got to be on this day? Well, because I'm going to be here for another week and blah, blah, blah. I'm going, that doesn't make any sense. I'm reading the Bible and, and then I'm going to be asking, hey, can we go to the hospital and heal some sick folk? I'd love to be there with you. I mean, I can do nothing, but I love to see God's work. 
Well, we're not going to do that. That's kind of stupid. I thought, well, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. If you have the power to heal people, why don't we go heal some folks? I want to be with you. There was no witness. There was nothing that happened. When I went to another place, I went there and, and, uh, and I, I talked to them and, and they were called CHOP. I thought, okay, that's an interesting name. I like that. That's, that's kind of spunky. Um, not in the Bible, but who cares, right? Uh, and I talked to them and they, and they gave me story after story after story about why God was so great, which was true. Um, their stories were a little bit off because they started talking about themselves. I said, well, that's not in the Bible. You're not supposed to do that. And I just kept asking religious groups about, tell me something about God. Some of them had some really good information. Most of them did not. And what was interesting was, when I began to read the Bible with a member of the Church of Christ, it was different. Because Jesus is different. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. You want to know about God? Let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you what, what the Bible says. And brethren, let us be those kinds of people who, who speak what the Bible says. That's what's amazing to people when they hear things about what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Right. I don't have all the answers, sir, but I can tell you what Jesus said. I can tell you what Paul said or what Peter said. or You go through the list. I'm not judging denominations. What I'm trying to say to you is the Word of God is an amazing book. So God didn't just leave us with witnesses on the earth. He gave us some more. In Hebrews 12 and verse 1, the heroes of faith, he goes right to the heavenlies, if you will, right up to heaven, and he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Church, we are in an arena, if you will. And the heroes of faith are cheering us on. And it's pretty exciting. It's a pretty exciting verse. You could spend, spend a few sermons on that verse, right? And they're up there saying, hey guys, you can do this. Hang in there. Don't give up. And then he gave all the situations about the persecution. He says, keep going. Don't stop. Don't quit. You're almost there. And that's what they're saying to us today. Some closer than others. But all of us are almost there. You're almost there. Where? To be able to be with God forever. Or our own condemnation. You get to make the choice. Today, this ministry that the apostles brought to us built upon the foundation and the foundation of, of the apostles and Jesus Christ and the prophets and Jesus being the cornerstone. This foundation is given to us as a gift from God. There are all kinds of witnesses and now you get to make a decision as to what you are going to do with the evidence that is in front of you. Is it going to strengthen your walk of faith and make you say, there's too much evidence. I can't walk away from Jesus. Is it going to encourage you to hang in there and continue to fight the good fight of faith? Although we get bad news at times from uh, medically and physically and on our jobs and throughout our communities. Are you going to hold on to Jesus? The heroes of faith say, don't give up. We made it. 
you can too. They're surrounding us. And just imagine yourself at a sports arena, if you will. Have you ever been in a big, huge competition and you got this huge crowd around you and they're cheering you on. They want you to win your, or they want you to lose. But that huge arena and they're all shouting for you. These heroes of faith and God himself wants all of us to win. The question tonight is, what do you want for yourself? What do you want for yourself? The lesson is yours. If tonight we can help in any way, if there are some things that we can uh, do for you, pray for you, if this, this church, I'm just encouraging you tonight not to give up. Just hold on. Hold on to Jesus because the reality is this. We can't lose if you stay with Jesus. The lesson is yours. Please come if we can help in any way while together we stand and sing our song.